Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information so you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat, tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last, so hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. There it is. Click of a button. We're live. And I'm excited to introduce today's guest. I can't wait to get into it. Can't wait to chat learn a million things. And he is really cool. Let's talk about it. He's a marketing leader. He is a serial uh, entrepreneur. He's a thought leader in the marketing space, in the startup space. Uh, in fact, he is an author of a, it's a best-selling book on Amazon right now. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get into the guts of it. It's called Be a Startup Superstar. So we're going to get into that. Um, he's actually helpfully, successfully grown six startups um, to, to amazing results. So we're going to get into what the secret sauce is there. Uh, currently the CMO of Thycotic, Steve Kahan. How are you, sir? Casey, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm doing great. And from that introduction, as you can see, I've earned every gray hair I have. <laughs> well, at least you have some gray hairs. Me, I just got a haircut and I'm trying to figure out where my hair went. Um, but yeah, so thanks for being here. This is our our marketing leadership series. So learning from senior level marketing leaders and thought leaders 
picking your brain, understanding the different things you're thinking about. And the fact that you've got a book out now just kind of compounds all this. So I want to start the show off the way we start every show. Let me grab this thing. It's heavy. One sec. All right, here we go. Here is Thor's hammer. Okay, go ahead, grab that and, uh, and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, something that drives you crazy. You want to set the record straight. I think one of the biggest marketing myths from my perspective is when you hear from people or PR agencies that you can't get great visibility results unless you have lots of customers that are ready to go live and give their success stories in the media, be it traditional or social media. And the bottom line is, is I've just never accepted that myth at all. And as a result, all of the companies that I've been with have been able to far out distance our competitors as it relates to uh, visibility in the traditional and social media. And what I've learned is, is you can't accept that sort of self-defeating prophecy. And what you need to focus in on is making news. And for us, we work very hard at Thycotic, for example, to plan how we're going to make news every quarter. So examples of that is we are always going to large trade shows and we'd like to go do research studies at those trade shows where practitioners are. Yeah. where we'll go gain uh, uh, lots of information. We'll have people going around the various trade shows and you know, with a tablet and collecting information, which enables us to produce world-class primary research reports. Ah. So for example, the global state of privileged account management, uh, just as a result of uh, hearing what, uh, what practitioners are doing at a trade show such as RSA or Microsoft Ignite. Or secondly, we are a big believer. Uh, people love to have immediate feedback. And so what we do is we also do a number of self-assessment tools. Hmm. So for example, a lot of people, what they want to be able to get is a, in our case, a privileged account management risk score. And so this risk score, by answering a few questions, they will immediately get a score, and then they'll get an email back to tell them how they compare relative to their industry peer group, companies of the same size. And so they get great information by doing the self-assessment, but also because we collect all the information, and of course we keep all of that information private, we could aggregate those results and produce additional research reports on the basis of those self-assessments that are so popular. Right. So those are two ways that we make news and don't really focus in on. In cybersecurity, for example, not many companies want to have their name associated with the cybersecurity tools that they use visibly. Some, some do, but most don't. And so we just can't accept that myth. And as you could see from those examples, we don't. Got it. it. You know, that last part makes sense why it's it, not only is it not possible, but sometimes just companies don't want to, don't want to raise their hand and getting success stories is hard enough, but you're right. Sometimes they don't want to be associated with a consultant of any kind, right? They don't want to Absolutely. give away their secret sauce. They don't want to share. Um, sometimes they don't, sometimes companies don't care, but a lot of more of the regulated ones, health, finance, 
security. They yeah, care. Security for sure. I mean, yeah. you, if you are talking about the solutions that you own, that is a tip to potential hackers, which might uh, give them some ideas of paths that they might pursue or not pursue on the basis of getting that knowledge. Oh, that's so true, right? Everything you say can be used against you. That's right. Wow, it's like a, your own uh, digital Miranda rights there. Okay, so it, you got around this by going out at these these events. I mean, that's just one way of doing research, going to these events, walking around with an iPad or having some self-assessment where you're gathering user insight. I mean, is it anonymous or is it? It's very much uh, anonymous, uh, okay. but the results that you get as a self-assessment taker are very specific to you. And the examples that I used, first of all, everybody likes to get a grade. They like to know, yeah. just like you're in university, A through F, they want to know what their grade is, which then it makes it incumbent upon us to make sure that those assessments, that the methodology is great so that they're not considered to be self-serving or BS. And then secondly, of course, then they want to know how they compare. Right, and so uh, most people do, right? And so those are very popular uh, tools that, that we use and I've used throughout my career. Now you mentioned that self-serving part. I'm sure there's some cynical people that are like, ah, oh, this is just lead gen. How do you walk that line of being helpful with your data gathering, but maybe also you wanna queue it up for a sale or do you? I mean, how do you balance that? Always err on the side of giving maximum value. And if that's the mindset that you have as a marketer, then uh, it'll serve you well. Because the last thing that you want is to gain that stigma of an organization that has sort of a bogus or self-fulfilling self tools. But if you always focus in on what's that great report we could give a prospect uh, for an, a self-assessment, that great information that they don't have that they desire, yeah. that's how you keep your eyes on the prize and you're doing the right thing, which then affords you a far better result. That makes so much sense. And when you said that too, I had like a mic drop moment. You said always err on the side of giving maximum value. I think the, the clouds parted and the sunshine came down and, and shone on you. Like that makes total sense. When in doubt, err on that side. How, how do you ensure you're giving maximum value? Because you're asking questions. So, so how, do you, how do you give value by asking questions? Well, so we give value in many ways. But uh, for example, um, we also offer a number of free tools, right? Okay. And so free tools that we offer uh, then are oftentimes considered to be lead generation assets. And so the free tools that we offer offer maximum value in the following way. So we have, in our case, privileged password discovery tools, right? And so privileged passwords, these are passwords just so that people have a baseline that exist on their infrastructure. So operating systems, databases, applications, et cetera. Sure. And when you think about an IT infrastructure, if you ask any CISO, these are the people in charge of security at companies, how many privileged passwords they have within their organization, about zero of them could, could tell you, right? And so, so finding out what you have is a prerequisite to mm. being able to manage and secure them. So we literally, with our discovery tools, have utilized the discovery portion of our paid for tool that we offer for free 
as a way to give our prospects maximum value so that they can understand in reality what is the extent of the privileged passwords that they actually have that might ultimately need to be secured. And we give them a beautiful report with nice graphics and good uh, numbers. And so we literally have taken a portion of our paid for tool and made it available for free and then offered a great, beautiful report that is highly useful. That's a definition, I guess, long story of what maximum value actually is. Sign me up. <laughs> that sounds right. Um, and that's why we generated the amount of leads that we do because we take that approach. Right. How, how do you go about crafting the questions? Do you, is it, do you do some research about the buyers ahead of time? Do you just, these are standard questions you figured out or how do you go about crafting this thing? And for those people listening, thinking I got to do this, is there a first step you recommend? Well, obviously it's based on the topic. And then we have yeah. people who are far smarter than I, who, who are able to craft those questions based upon what it is that we're, the topic that we're focused in on. And the key to that is that, that you have questions that, less questions that are true and false off and on, that sort of thing, but offer multiple choices, such as like a one through five, right? So that you have gradations on what that, uh, what that result actually is, so you can do a better job of reporting on what those results are make nuances between them and what they mean. Mm. And then, of course, because you're able to, uh, by getting people to take this, also get information about the industry, the size of the company, things, things some, some of the demographics that allows you to slice and dice that data in specific ways that really make it highly interesting and then compelling to specific target customer segments. Right, because you're in the know. You're you're more in the know than all of your competitors. You're you're doing continue. It's like the buyer research that people are supposed to do at the beginning of their marketing, but you're so continuing to that, exactly. I'm hoping yeah. there are thousands of people listening to this podcast as soon as it's put live, but none of our competitors. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Don't worry, we won't share it with any of them. We'll block them all. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you're, you become the analyst. It's almost like the analyst solution provider. That's right. And then as a result, you, you know, people talk about the term thought leadership. Well, that's yeah. how you do it, right? right. And so you, you do that on the basis of the primary uh, information and research that you're able to, to conduct and then ultimately report upon. And that it is newsworthy. That is newsworthy. Do you see people doing this wrong? Are there, are, there, are there gotchas along the way of people erring in the, in the wrong direction or anything like that? Well, first of all, I think that people don't take the view of maximum value. They think inward, not outward. Hmm. So you always have to focus on what, for example, the market and what your target uh, prospects and customers might actually be interested in. So I think that sometimes they take sort of a, a, a inside out approach rather than an outside in. And whenever you do that, you will without question uh, have something that's just maybe super compelling to you, but just not 
the people outside of the four walls of your building, and then that will uh, that will ensure that what you have, you think you have accomplished a lot, but in reality, you've accomplished really next to nothing. Yeah, I think I've experienced that where you go to take a survey for someone and it asks you a simple question with four answers and none of them make sense, but they all seem like, to your point, internally self-serving. Oh, it was our excellent customer service. It was our excellent this. It's like, no, actually, it was this other reason. There's no other category. So, So because I have to, pick one of those four, I'm automatically going to be giving you bad data and self-serving data, maybe internal politics data. And the other thing that I think where, um, where companies go wrong, marketers, is they don't integrate these types of things with their sales efforts. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And so uh, a good example of that in the self-assessment uh, tools, those types of things that I mentioned, when you then train your sales force, so let's say someone who took one of these tests got a C or a D or something like that, right? And so they don't properly train their sales force on what those self-assessment tools are, what they mean, and what you as a sales rep could then follow up on so yeah. such that you are far more consultative rather than just a pushy sales rep. So based on those results and based on that training that's offered to the sales team, you help them to be far more uh, sort of, as I mentioned, uh, consultative where they're adding value during the sales process, that it's not just a lead generation marketing tool, that it's actually something that can be used so that if the company that took the the self-assessment wants to go from say a C to a B mm-hmm. that you could say, here's how we can help you to get there. Mm, right. That makes total sense because otherwise it's just a, it could be just, even if it's good data, it could just be gimmicky. If it's just maybe just marketing has it, but sales, like don't just take the survey and then sell them something like they're like you're a vendor, you know, at a ball game, like give them that consultative sale based on the results. You have all, it's like discovery, isn't it? It's like, it's almost like a a free discovery. Absolutely. And then that sort of sets the salesperson apart from competitive uh, salespeople because all of us operate, unfortunately, not in competition free zones. Mm-hmm. So they're probably, that prospect is probably talking to competitive salespeople as well. Sure. Right. And so if your salesperson is uh, offering more value based upon um, helping that, uh, that, and that prospect improve, yeah. then they are perceived different and hopefully more uh, of more value to that, uh, to that person right off the bat. Right. And you're doing this now. You've got, you've got your internal sales team aligned. I mean, you are constantly making news. It would make sense that they have to be in the loop on this news and how they can best leverage it. Absolutely. Wow. Is there any other ways you can make news or are you, I, I could see this well, being the. There's, there's tons of ways. Tons of ways. Two of the ways that we focus in on as yeah. a, as a team and, and it's worked, uh, worked magic for us. Uh, uh, we, we've been far more visible than, for example, a competitor, the public competitor, uh, five times our size. Really? So you're like, you're able to punch above the weight class just by doing this original research yeah, we and thought can't leadership. Get, for example, in that, ex- in that particular company that I am referring to, 
we can't get the, the um, visibility that they get as a benefit of being a public company, but we don't let that dissuade us. We, we, we realize that's just how it is. And so yeah. we've got to go uh, change uh, the game and, and create a, a different playing field. And that's what we do. Change the game. I like that. You know, you mentioned the sales side. It makes me wonder about, you hear a lot of talk about you know, ABM and, you know, sales and marketing alignment. What's your take on that? It, it sounds like you've got, you've got tools that, that can help them, but you got to approach sales with the right message. What's your, what's your take? How, how do we approach sales? Are you a fan of ABM? What's your take on all of it? So I think ABM is fine. It's cool. It's, 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 but it's not new. Right? Yeah. If there was a, a, a myth to be busted, is it's not new. And, and why is it not new? So the reason why it's not new is because it's really just good, comprehensive, sort of blanketing type marketing to larger organizations. Right. And so if you look at some of the components associated with this, I mean, it could be a social component like LinkedIn advertising, LinkedIn mm-hmm. messaging. There could be some mailing, perhaps some you know, mailing with gifts. But the whole thing is, is, is that I guess the part that is, again, not new, but what is associated with, with ABM is working in lockstep with sales. Right. And this is where most organizations get it wrong. So for us, we use a tool called DemandBase that helps us to uh, see what companies are searching on, right? And that informs us if we see that people are, uh, if some companies are searching on PAM, for example, the, the space that we play in, uh, it might not be on us, it might be on competitors, that, sure. that might help us to select the type of companies that we're going to go after. And then what we do is we plan in great detail with sales. So for example, not only do we um, make the final selection of accounts with sales, but we literally calendar out for each company. So for example, in the first quarter of 2020, we'll be targeting 80 accounts worldwide. What we'll be doing is that combination of social, mail, um, integrated, uh, what for us it's SDR sales development rep calls uh, along with the marketing and we plan it out in a calendar in a ex- excruciating detail literally for each account we know what dates you could see it literally on a calendar hmm. that this is going to hit or this call needs to go out or this email goes out and we just do it right and so so for us then that that very rigorous management uh, is what ABM really is all about. There are a couple of different things that you might look at in terms of the metrics, but really that's just good marketing to larger uh, organizations uh, and, and rigorous marketing. And so there's all the buzz associated with ABM. I get probably three emails every day from someone trying to sell me some ABM <laughs> something, maybe I'm sure. more. I'm and, sure. Uh, but but we're 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 doing it, and and there are analyst organizations like Gartner that'll tell you about best practices and mm-hmm. and others, Forrester or others that that you could you could always learn from. But um, but to me, this just isn't new. This is just good rigorous uh, marketing to uh, larger organizations with multiple decision makers. 
it's so so clear when you describe it that way and it it does sound rigorous it, it's not it's not a easy thing to your point it's not new but it's also not easy it takes some work to in your case targeting 80 or so accounts to go after them at certain times in the year so you're really actually coordinating with sales that this stuff is going to be happening around this date you know your part in this operation is here like let's let's hit them from all angles to really try to work that account and then move to the next one. Absolutely. So for, for us, this is a little bit new from the perspective that our company has historically largely been focused on middle market and departmental mm -hmm. enterprise, but we have really started to win some big, big, big uh, global enterprise customers. And so, uh, and this has happened over the course of the last year plus, mm -hmm. uh, as our technology has matured, the scalability has increased. And so we have added this into our arsenal. Uh, so if we can do the type of job that we believe that we can with it, along with the traditional higher velocity approach, then we should be off to the races. Wow. And you're doing that and you have competitors who are publicly traded with their you know, millions more in marketing dollars probably going down the toilet in the wrong direction, not targeted, not, not in lockstep with ABM or with their I hope sales so. team. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I, I'm, I have great respect for our competitors, so I'm of course, sure they're yeah. doing well. But, um, uh, but, but we, we're confident in our approach. And the good news for us is we set very specific metrics and goals. And, you know, if we're not achieving them, we'll... Uh, we won't be afraid to take risks and try. We'll take a right or a left based on what we need to to right. to, to course correct or change. We're we're very nimble that way, and uh, and hopefully always will be. For sure. And tell me more about this transition. It sounds like you're not only you're creating news, and now you're finding you're getting traction with these larger and larger companies where maybe initially you were you know targeting the lower ones or not even targeting at all, just sort of general you know, less ABM, just kind of going after everyone in a certain range. Now you're starting to pick and choose these bigger accounts. You know, did obviously didn't happen overnight. You know, how, how, how does it go about happening? Did you, you start winning a couple and you're like, Oh, this tastes really good. Let's, let's try to get more of these. Well, so, so we, our company was born really targeting the middle market, right? Sure. With a, with a, a simpler, easier to use tool that provided like 70% of the functionality of, uh, at, at, a, at, at, a, at less cost. Right. And so, so that was how we were born many years ago. But as we built up our technology, uh, products as well as it, our ability to scale, we started to win some big, 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 uh, mm. as I mentioned, enterprise class customers and started winning those. Uh, we've had a number of those big customers switch from our the big competitor that I'm referring to and other competitors to, to us. And so right. what I found in my career is it is typically easier to have sort of that, uh, you know, focus on the middle market and scale up rather than a company that has a focus on the biggest uh, organizations and then try to scale down. <laughs> right, so we had uh, kind of a sales and marketing approach that was geared to the target market that we were addressing. But now that that is evolving and changing as our company is growing, 
then we, uh, from a marketing perspective, need to employ other tactics and strategies that is, uh, that is aligned with our sales model, the revenue requirements, the average deal sizes that we need to, to be able to bring in to sustain and continue to build on the growth that we have had. So this is really just a natural uh, move for us and sure. hopefully one that will work great. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like you're off to the races and it makes total sense to start middle and work your way up or start somewhere and then increase and grow and build on that foundation. And it also goes to show that when you're making that news, everyone is interested in that. It's not just like a small company or middle-sized company. Everyone wants that, that original research and that thought leadership. Yeah. And I think the key is, is for any marketers, laser focus on your target market. And so for us, we, we have always done that. We have been really good at that. Uh, just so happens is uh, that our technology is super strong and it, it is allowing us to play really at all sizes, just in terms of companies and really in our market, uh, there is a need uh, for, for, our, for products like ours at, at all different sizes across uh, multiple verticals. So we, we have not, uh, we have stayed laser focused, uh, but for us, this is, this is laser focused. This is just matching the, the, ta- the proper tactic to the proper uh, target. Right. And to your, to your point, any of those customers, but those big ones as you're transitioning and getting more of those in, is if they were asking, hey, what other big enterprises are using this? It's not like you can tell them, you know, back to your original point. You can't necessarily just share a whole bunch of enterprise level case studies now because nobody wants to share that. Well, true, visibly, uh, but, but a lot of those customers will give private references. Ah. And so they, they, they are, our customers are very happy. And so our uh, net promoter score is 26% uh, higher than the software industry average. And so we've got a lot of happy customers and they're happy to talk about it one-on-one privately, but they just don't want to have that appear, for example, in the Wall Street Journal. Totally get that. And that's that's great that you have that level of customer sat so much above the industry average that you you have customers that are saying, you know, look, don't put me in the paper, but I'm happy to share. I want to share and uh, to some other peer group of mine and some other enterprise. That's great. That's really great. You know, you mentioned earlier the metrics, you know, different metrics. And it just kind of stirred me that the thought around, you know, you got people pointing at a single metric. You got people saying MQLs, SQLs, leads, not leads, revenue. What's your take on metrics, you know, especially as you're trying to grow you know, marketing group and even for like the, you know, the, the young professionals getting into it, like where should they be focusing on those metrics too? Well, the, the first thing for young professionals uh, getting into marketing, that it is about the metrics. Okay. And so if you find that you're working for in marketing and in a role that is uh, n- not heavily focused on the metrics that, that combine that contribute to revenue, uh, you're probably stunting your career growth, right? And so at the end of the day, uh, what the perspective that I have always taken and take today is the, the marketing metrics that 
uh, most contribute to revenue growth, right? And so, so we we will look at all those metrics that 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 you mentioned. Um, but one of the things that we really look at, you know, as a company that historically has been focused on sort of a high velocity model is, is our website is, is really key, right? And so we're, we go to the trade shows, we do seminars, we, we do that, that type of stuff for sure. But really, if you look at our website today, which is thycotic.com, that what you would see is a website that is highly tuned to visitor to lead conversion. Right at that, that uh, you know, you probably will hear a number. I would assume people talk about the funnel metrics uh, at other podcasts, but I'll focus on this. So the visitor to lead conversion is a metric that I look at. Uh, I look at every every single day, along with some of the the funnel conversion. And the reason why it's so important is that to us, that's where it all starts. So people come to our website, they'll see a free tool, they'll see the assessment tools, they'll see trials, they'll see other things. And think of it in your own life, right? If you're, if you're anything like me, you almost never put your information in a information collection box on the web. Right. right? That, I mean, I don't, right? right? I almost never do, right? And the reason why you would is that the content has to be so damn compelling. Yeah that you're actually going to go do that, right? Because right. you know if you do that, it's like, yes, you want that content, but like, you know what happens, yeah. right? And so you're going to get nurtured, maybe. Like you're going to get right. called. Right, yeah. exactly, right? And so, so, so that visitor lead conversion metric is key. And so for us, uh, we are north of 5%, about 5.5%, and that is world-class. And so, so for us, then the key to being world-class, there's all sorts of web design um, uh, items that you would focus in on, but, but really the key is, is the quality of your content. And so for me as a CMO, one of the areas that I spend the most amount of my time on is to making sure that our content is kick-ass. Yeah. Because I know that if our content is superb, and by superb, it means it's so darn compelling to our target buyers that they're actually going to fill in that info such that, um, that they convert into a lead, right? And so the content is everything. So ABM might be a buzzword, content marketing will mm -hmm. be a buzzword, but that's what it, that's what, how it actually uh plays the critically important role that it does for us and the uh, visitor to lead conversion uh, metric on the website. And of course, they're different on different pages, um, but I, you know, sort of look all up uh, first uh, is, is and, and on the homepage where most of uh, someone's visitors are. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's really the 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 core metric that I I would encourage uh, other CMOS or or marketers to be paying strong attention to. You know, I I want to talk more about the you know that young professional advice, but uh, let me just address what you brought up because I I went to your website and I I think everyone listening, well not to throw off your measurement, 
but uh, this is this is a model. I, I see it, it's like a there's so many re there's resources and not only say categories and upcoming webinars, but there's all these different named original research papers and white papers and free eBooks and cybersecurity for dummies. And then there's a free it tools and there's four columns full of different tools that are it. You, you're not burying it. I think sometimes we bury it in the resources, you know, and there's a nested menu and if you, nobody ever navigates that deep, but eventually you get to the good stuff down below. You're putting it all out there for everyone. Um, and then free trials on the right, not just one, there's like four or five different options for four or five. Yeah, I could see there's some real thought put into this and you have the chat down there below as well. Right, I mean, that, that is an example of a website built to convert, Yeah. right? And so we wanna inform and educate, but really at the end of the day, we've gotta convert because if we don't convert, then it's nice, right? If someone comes to our right. website and reads stuff, but it doesn't necessarily result in a sales opportunity uh, for us. And I don't want someone to go to a competitor's website and have them convert there. I want them to convert on my site. Right, right. Have you found chat? I see chat with sales down the bottom right. Have you found that? Have you been doing that for a while? Because I hear it's yeah, yeah. getting our bigger chat, and bigger. Yeah, our chat uh, is, is important to us. But we also have another one that's important uh, is request for quote, right? And so we've also learned that some people, they just want to know, well, like, how much does this cost? Yeah. That doesn't always mean that someone's ready to buy. Right. But, but it's an indicator that someone is kind of interested in like what it costs, right? And so we have it on there and that actually is one of the highest converting uh, 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 assets, if you will, that we offer on our site uh, just in, into revenue, uh, actually. Yeah, I see it. Get pricing now. And I, I remember doing this recently for a, a marketing technology platform. I was curious. I, I knew about the tech and I wanted to know, just how much does this cost? Is this reasonable for me to even approach? Right. Or, I mean, it's a question yeah. that a lot of people have, unless you publish all your pricing. I mean, none of our competitors do that. And we're like, all right, look, we're going to go, go just make it easy for someone if they want to find out. If you want to find out, yeah, no, no holds barred, no, uh, no strings attached. If you want a price, we'll get you a price, a little bit of information, and go from there. That's fantastic, solid stuff. And in, in speaking of you know advice for the young professionals out there, and I know this kind of ties in to the book as well. It, you know, you've got you've got marketers that are looking to maybe get into startups. You know, what's the name of your book? Kind of just throw that out there, and let, let's talk more about that. Sure. So the book uh, that I wrote is just uh, published at the end of December uh, is called Be a Startup Superstar. It's published by Wiley and Audible. Wow. Did and you, did available anywhere you buy books online. Oh, amazing. Did you, uh, by the way, congratulations. That is no small feat. Uh, Thank you. Creating that. So why did you set out to create this? Was, did you, what did you see that was out there or what kind of tickled at you to, to address this? Yeah. So I've been asked by a number of people over the years to mentor them. Okay. And so, so really I would, based upon the particular need of that person, I would offer up uh, advice to them and hopefully it would be valuable. Plus I have two kids of my own who are, who are working. And so what I wanted to do and what I started to do, I was on vacation, uh, actually um, on the island of Santorini in Greece. 
and I was reflecting on my career and trying to think about, you know, all the things that I learned. And I started to write down these, these different keys to, to success while I was uh, up uh, looking at the beautiful Aegean Sea and some of the nice. mountains right, right in the background. And then finished out that list as I was flying back, back home. Okay. And basically what, what, what I ultimately had at that point were um, 35 actions, attitudes, and behaviors that one should take to maximize success at a startup. So wow. then I got on a mission and I decided to flesh all of that out to define what each of those actions were to give very specific examples from my wow. career or others, uh, and then to really kind of write it in, in almost like a how-to type of type of format. And then I then filled it in further to help uh, people sort of learn how to separate a startup with a good story mm. versus a startup that has both a good story as well as a good chance for success. So. This was based on, you know, if I was at one or two successful startups, maybe it'd be luck, but six now going on seven that have had successful exits. Uh, you know, I probably learned a thing or two along the way. Yeah. And then also to guide people how to find and land a job at the best startup. So it combined uh, that along with those 35 actions, attitudes, and behaviors grouped under what I called seven keys to the C-suite. Fantastic. You're like I, I'm sold, right? So, you know, marketing thought leader, I've been learning a bunch from you already and you've distilled down, you know, if you were to mentor myself or people listening, Hey, this is what I've found was most successful in, in this career. Question though, why startup? Aren't, aren't there plenty of jobs with those big, boring companies out there, the big fortune 10, sorry, fortune 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it sort of mirrored my career and, sure. and I like um, so many who might be listening to this podcast. I remember when I was growing up, my father, in my case, used to tell me, he'd say, Steve, get your degree, go to work for a large corporation. You work hard, they'll take care of you and you will have a great career. Right. Then, of course, he would say, of course, your mother and I would much prefer that you become a doctor or a lawyer, but short of that, <laughs> getting a job at a large corporation would do. So that's what I did, right? And so right out of college, I went to a large corporation, basically, and I remember uh, literally um, staring at my bank statement and the pile of claims I had to process that day, wondering mm. how on earth will I ever get ahead? So for me, I would work long days and the student loans would grab a hold of my paychecks before they'd ever get a chance to hit my bank account. And so what I did is I asked myself a question, how could I earn a great living and love the work that I do? And I knew it wasn't going to be in a pigeonholed role in a very large bureaucratic a corporation that moves slow that just wasn't going to be a good fit for me. And so I made the move to the startup world and I've never looked back in almost 30 years. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, it's an experience. It, it's probably worth having. So, you know, so you can understand what you like and don't like. Uh, but yeah, the bureaucracy you mentioned being pigeonholed. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of downside to being, but I guess the, the payoff is what stability. 
or is that just a I you a know myth? I think I think it is definitely more startups don't make it right and so yeah. that's where it really comes into choosing a a good startup uh, versus one that might not be so good but really if you think about that stability I mean if you make the right choices um, and then of course you're you're in a company that um, like as many startups do that offer stock options. What, what I've learned in my career, and probably it's a lot like others, is that as my career has moved on and I've moved up in organizations, is that I've been fortunate enough to make more money. Mm -hmm. And as you make more money, what I've also found is that you find more ways to spend that money. So you start having kids, <laughs> buying homes, you start going on vacations, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I don't know, maybe there are some more disciplined savers than me, but at the end of the day, I've found my best investment has always been in me and in the teams that I work with. And so if I have the opportunity also to get stock options, particularly early on at companies mm -hmm. that I work for, that's how you make, at least for me and what I found, the leaps and bounds forward um, financially, um, rather than just stay ahead or you know barely staying ahead as your expenses continue to increase. And so there is maybe a little bit less stability. I think you can mitigate that by choosing the right startups along mm -hmm. the way, but, um, but, but I think that startups offer um, just a, a number of advantages. And I would say you know a couple of other things, just you know when you think of it. One is a friend of mine who's a professor at the University of Texas Macomb School of Business. When he asks his students where they plan to work once they graduate, the overwhelming majority say a large corporation. They, they almost never think startups. And when they think of startups, they think of like, well, I've got to be Mark Zuckerberg and I'm not right. Mark Zuckerberg and I can't afford that. And really there are 46,000 startups across the United States, right? And so wow. um, there are so many opportunities to, to, to get to the, to the C-suite at, at these companies are good ones. And then also if you Google the phrase, people who feel stuck in their corporate jobs, you will get nearly 300 million results which to me, that's a lot of content. So there must be a lot of people who feel that exactly that way. Jeez. So much opportunity when you put it that way. There's um, tremendous opportunity. Yeah. And startups are desperate to hire, right? And so, you know, that, that's the number one issue keeping startup CEOs at night is not um, more revenue or gaining access to more capital, things of that nature. It's, it's actually... Uh, hiring good people, right? Yeah. So, uh, that was a recent survey that was done of startup CEOs. And so there's, there's tremendous opportunities. You just have to pick the right one. Yeah. People is definitely the most important thing. I know, it, you know, as myself, you know, growing my own small business, my own startup, that it, the right people, the right team, just make it work and you need those people and, and they're not everywhere. They're, they're rare. And so quick question You've been in, what was it, like five or six? Uh, seven now. Seven now. Seven. And, and you, they've been acquired. They, there's all sorts of successful exits. So somehow you've been picking good ones. So 
you know, you mentioned yeah, like, as well, like choosing the right one, it can be important. There's no, so first of all, I think it's quality people who share, share your values. Okay. Right. And so you're going to be working with, uh, with these people very closely. And so if you, during the interview process, don't find people that you can respect, trust, learn from, uh, that you'll enjoy working with, uh, move on. So that's number one. So I really look at, at, at the people and, mm -hmm. and most, uh, people who invest in companies, they, they look very aggressively at the management team. They'll say that the things they invest in are the management team, uh, uh, most often. So I, I really look at, at people first. Secondly, I look for markets, right? And so you want to look for a market in which it is large enough to be able to give you the ability to grow, right? And so you can research that by looking at, uh, looking at what is written about that market by uh, analysts as well as influencers. And don't be afraid if there's lots of competition. Be afraid if you see zero competition because uh -huh. that is probably an indication that there may not be a market. Third thing I look at is a great product that I can believe in, right? And so um, is this something that I would feel uh, excited about promoting and, and really my role in helping to, to get behind it with enthusiasm? Um, and then I look to see if the startup is well-funded, right? And so you want to choose a startup that has a long enough runway to get off the ground to make sure that it is properly capitalized so you have the best chance at growth as well as stability. Those are the things that I typically look at. And uh, as a result of that diligence, it, those factors have served, at least for me, quite well with, um, I guess, being fortunate enough to, to have been with a number of really good companies. Right. And really, this applies to everyone. But, you know, in the marketing world, and obviously from your own career, just growing it sounds like these principles especially work for marketers. And, and I think from my own experience, I would recommend be a marketer at a startup, be a startup marketer, right? Don't, don't go be a pigeonholed, you know, corporate marketer somewhere. So that was exactly how I started my career and it was the best way I could have ever started. So it's kind of actually an interesting story. Yeah. I, uh, my first, first startup that I went to, I'll never forget on my first day, I looked at the office next to mine and there were people unplugging the copy machine, putting it on a dolly and literally rolling it right out of the office. And I came to find out a few days later is because the company could no longer afford to pay for that copy machine. This was the company you're at? Yeah, this was the company I was at. Wow. First one. And, and, um, <laughs> and, and it, was, it was very true, but I was blind to it. I was so pumped and excited to work with a small team of crazies who were hell-bent on changing the world, changing the way applications were being developed. Mm -hmm. So for me, I took the opportunity to learn everything I could. I was the first person hired in marketing. I was ultimately then a very small team. But what it did was it meant that I could try a almost everything. Like I right. could try it. I could sink, sink into it. I could fail on things. I can move on to the next thing. I could learn everything. I, I was like a sponge. I could get my hands into yeah. uh, talking to people across the company, sales constantly. And, um, and that was awesome, right? Because it gave me such a wonderful foundation to be 
a part of actually having to do so many things that I knew how to do it from it, the absolute ground up. And of course, the discipline of marketing has changed from that point to where it is now in a, in a major way. Right. Uh, but but uh, just a few years later, uh, that company that couldn't afford to pay for the copy machine, uh, it went public and I wow. got the bug and never left the startup world. Wow. It, you know, from humble beginnings, you know, got, being scrappy, the lean startup, you know, just... I love that. That sounds that sounds so much fun hearing you describe it. Yeah, there's some risk involved, um, but man, what the freedom to be able to just try things and be things and and learn by doing and not. I'm sure you know the the bigger companies. Oh, we tried that already. Or no, that's not your department. You're here to solely write copy for emails. Like that's all you can do. You can't go outside the boundary. Right. I would do that in the, maybe the first hour and then yeah. something else the next few, like it was just cause you had to, wow. and it was awesome. Right. And so to me, even if you're not at a company where you're doing that, I think taking the opportunity to dive into a bunch of different aspects of marketing, whether you're volunteering to get involved into more and more or, um, or maybe you just make yourself available to be plucked for that plum project. I just think having a, uh, a well-rounded base, but of course a deep expertise in a particular area, it's really what sets you apart. And then, and then if you're in marketing, you should know sales uh, inside and out as well, right? And yeah. so um, marketing is all about revenue. It's the if you're not impacting revenue, you're probably non-core, mm-hmm. uh, at least from the, the board's perspective. And first and to go if they need to trim up. Absolutely. After right. the copy so, machine or right. before it maybe. Like you have to know how what you're doing is actually making revenue flow mm. and, and how that works and how you can get more of it. Right. And so, um, so even though like in our case where, Marketing doesn't close any business, salespeople do, but that understanding of how it all works is it, from top to bottom is, is essential, at least at some point uh, in, your, in your growth. That makes sense. I remember being a non-revenue marketer and, and I was once asked, you know, how many emails I sent? And it was like a million. And they're like, send a million and a half, you know, or do the, do the webinar campaign. No idea if what you were doing actually had some kind of impact on the bottom line. But then later on, marketing automation comes out and then I'm starting to tie these leads that we spent money on or effort on, tying them into CRM. And suddenly you start seeing that, hey, marketing does do some things. And then the, you know, the sky's the limit from there. Right, absolutely. So I'd love to kind of encapsulate this. I, I think sometimes we ask, I ask this question and maybe the answer here is just, need to get the book, but uh, if you could go back in a time machine and advise yourself, you know, maybe advising yourself on how you, and you mentioned this too, differentiating yourself, how to advise yourself at the very beginning of your marketing career, maybe before you even went to that big startup, what would you tell yourself? So what I learned, so I've always been viewed as a workaholic, right? And I, I still am. And so what I took a little bit longer to learn, right, but I did learn it, was um, that you have to be your most important priority. And let me tell you what I mean by that. So I live my life, like a lot of other people, 
by their calendar. So in a particular day, in a given week or what have you, what's on my calendar today or tomorrow or, 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 or whatever that time period might be. Yeah. And so what I would uh, suggest is that the most important item on your calendar should be you, hmm. right? And for anyone listening to this podcast, what I would go challenge you right now to determine if you are your own most important priority is to do this is to go see if your calendar reflects this. So go ahead right now, okay. open your calendar, and check to see how many appointments you have with yourself this week or next. Huh. And if you're like most people, you probably have too few, which means that the most valuable uses of your time, whether they're personal priorities or family priorities, whatever they might be, are not blocked. So take the time that you need, whether that is if, you're, if you like working out as I do, you'll block off time to work out. Uh, if there is learning time that you need, you want to go learn stuff or strategy time that you block that time off your calendar and you don't just leave that white space because people love to grab that white space and, and go schedule the next soul-sucking um, needless meeting or whatever that might be. Right. right. And so what I've done is I've learned how to put myself as and my family as priority one. And people respect that just in terms of the management of your calendar, where you've made time to maybe leave a little bit later or come home early, have dinner, make the games, you know, whatever it might be that's important to your family. And I guess the other thing that I've learned is that people get stressed out about this because I think I actually heard a term. So the term work-life balance, I think, is bad. Hmm. And I heard a term the other day that I like much better. So work-life balance to me suggests that there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Hmm. And people get stressed out. Right. On balance, it. off balance. Yeah. That's right. And so yeah. it's like, well, I'm out of balance. Right. And I think that a better term that I just heard just a couple of weeks ago was work-life harmony because hmm. it's a scale. It's basically suggesting that, hey, there's going to be some times that, that one or the other are going to flow up or down, and that's okay, right? And so the real key is, is again, have you put yourself and your family a priority? Because in particular in marketing, but certainly in marketing at startups, you're going to be asked to work long hours, right? There's, a, there's a, a lot of stuff that you need to do in order to help make sure that the company is successful. And so you've got to manage that end of it uh, uh, well. And so that's something that I wish I would have known uh, day one, but, mm -hmm. uh, but, I, but I did learn along the way and I've lived that uh, way since. And that time, that time for yourself, you know, what recharges your batteries and, and fills you up with inspiration for the next campaign and next startup. Absolutely. Gives you the fuel for it. That, that's fantastic. I think that that's, that's advice for the bank. What, how, do you, how do you fill up your, your time? I know you, you've gotten into flying recently and a couple other things. Yeah, so I, uh, I've decided that I want to go for it on the learning scale. So... I mean, I do things just recreationally. I love paddleboarding. I, I enjoy working out. But um, I uh, obviously, I, as you mentioned, I wrote a book, Be a Startup Superstar, yep. last year. 
I did a couple of TED talks, which was just a blast. I mean, wow. so much fun. Uh, and then this year, I'm I've just started uh, taking uh, uh, the tests and learning for my pilot's license. I'm looking forward to that. And I uh, guess what takes up a lot of my time these days, which is awesome, is my uh, one and a half year old grandson and my granddaughter who will be born in mid-January. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. You, I, I, you definitely have the, the recharging stations all around you with the different activities and challenges. Yeah, I think um, uh, life is is all about uh, continuous learning. And so, yeah. you know, I'm, again, with making myself a priority, I'd not only want to learn how to become a better a resource at work, uh, marketing or, or business executive, but also how can I go learn about new things in my personal life that would just sort of stretch me in, in new ways. And, right. and I, I really look for that. And I, I look for that um, even more now than maybe I did at the, at the very beginning. Yeah, no doubt. How how did you catch the uh, the the pilot bug? Uh, my wife bought me the the get your license as a Christmas present just this past Christmas, and so um, it's something that I mentioned that I might want to get for Christmas. I didn't think that she would, <laughs> but she did. She was listening. <laughs> yeah. We went on the Discovery flight together, which they give you full controls during that flight, and I've taken a, a one lesson since. I have another one coming up. And so it was great. She was in the back. And what I saw in the discovery flight is that they basically let you take off and fly and land the plane. And so she was filming in the back and then put it out there for my family to see. And, they, and, the, and they're feeling better because they saw that, uh, that I wasn't a nervous wreck flying the plane. <laughs> wow. Wow. And now, had you had some time to fly again after we last chatted? Uh, I just got in the simulator for for one uh class but tomorrow i'll be back up oh excellent excellent and it's uh cessna yes cessna skyhawk 172 nice 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 yeah we'll have to uh I'll have to check in have have you back on talk more marketing and and uh and check in and see how the uh, the pilot career is taken off yeah, now I will admit something to the listeners is that my first time in the simulator, I did crash. So <laughs> I'm hoping that doesn't happen again. But you don't get hurt if you crash in the simulator. Yeah, better the simulator, you know. So I'm big into <laughs> skydiving. So if you want me to send you a parachute, I can do that. I'll fly you <laughs> up and you can skydive. <laughs> deal, deal. That's good. That's good. Uh, perfect. See, that, that, that works perfectly because I, I can't get up there on my own. I need somehow to catch a ride. I'll have my thumb out on the runway and see if I can hitch a ride with you. Oh, cool. that's fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on here. Hey, where can people get the book and where can people connect with you? Okay. So, uh, they could get the book in any, uh, place you buy books online. So be a startup superstar, for example, is available on Amazon. Uh, you could also go to the book website, which is www.beastartupsuperstar.com. Okay. And uh, people could connect to me there. They can connect with me via LinkedIn as well. And for anyone who decides they want to buy the book and has questions or uh, comments and they uh, connect with me, I, I, I answer every single question or comment personally. Wow. 
Wow. That's fantastic. I, I'm sure people can really appreciate that because it can be a scary world out there, but knowing that you know, you've kind of blazed the trail for them and have had all these successes and broke free of those student loans. I mean, this is really encouraging. Uh, and I learned from many others. And so people have helped me along the way and I'm right. just trying to pay it forward. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, this is fantastic for those of you listening uh, if you learned something, and I know you did because I literally have two pages of notes and I ran out of space, then share this with someone else. Share this episode with someone else. Share Steve's book with someone else. Uh, late Christmas present, birthday present, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, that, is, that is a fantastic recipe right there. So again, Steve, thank you again for coming on here. This has been a fun and I mean, I've learned a bunch today. I've enjoyed it very much, Casey. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And for everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to qualified.com, engage in a chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you, and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one.